All right, welcome back to the old Mike Up Podcast Show. I'm your host, Mike Ash. Episode 6. Continuation from Episode 5, Police Reform. But I promise I won't be as aggravated and agitated as I was in Episode 5. How do we keep the bad guys and those racist pricks from getting on the job? Get them before they even make it to the academy. How do we do that? Extensive, hardcore background investigation done by not police officers, no cops, local department, but the FBI. Professionals can figure out the details. Maybe privatize it with all these retired FBI agents with with the extensive background and profiling experience. They know how to weed out the bullshitters. I tell you I tell you what. <laughs> they had FBI agents back in the early nineties. I probably would never made it on the job. I'm almost positive I never would have made it. Like I said in episode five, with the politicians, they need to stay the hell out of it. They're only going to make it worse. And they will make it worse. I said that you have to raise the age to 25. That you have to do. You have to do. Raise the age to 25 to become a police officer. And uh, start from the bottom, work yourself up. You Got to age out in law enforcement. 55 and older. 55 and older. You can't go out in the street anymore unless you're a supervisor but you can't go out there doing the job anymore 55 and older no way retire in law enforcement 60 you're gone 25 years on the job that's it you're gone no more same should be for your politicians but that's another topic with the politicians because I believe in term limits. I shouldn't deal with politicians when I was in my 20s and they're still around. Fuck that shit. And, and believe it or not, what, I, what I'm about to um, compare between law enforcement and politicians is cliques. Because cliques, the bad ones, are cancer. They are cancer to the department. They are cancer to law enforcement. And same thing with your politicians. They're cancer in Congress, in the Capitol building, cancer, a group of them, and you need to break them up. They have more power than a president. Term limits. Now back to law enforcement. So as I was saying in an episode five, I focus more with the academy. I focus more on a written exam. You got to take the psychological exam, then you have the psychological interview, you have your medical, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes down to um, investigating your background and the psychological part of the exams, 
FBI agents. FBI. You get the ones who are retired. I'm sure they have their own businesses out there. They would love to be involved with police reform. You have them. They've been doing it for so many years. Background checks. Profiling. They'll dig so deep in your background. They'll know shit about you when you were 10. They will know if you even shot a spitball at your teacher in third grade. They can find out anything and everything. And what you do is you deter when you have potential candidates to become police officers. You want to deter. But you want them to think twice. When I say them, I'm talking about the bad guys that want to get on the job. And the racist fucks that hide it. And they get on the job. Start from the bottom, work yourself up. And that's the problem here because you're getting them on the job. You're getting them because they, they get in the academy. You know, they go with the program. They disguise themselves as a, uh, a cool guy. Doesn't hate anybody. Love all people of color. And they will wait till they're off probation. Did I ever meet racist cops? Damn right I did. Am I a racist? Fuck no. I stereotype everybody. I don't care who you are. No one's off limits with me with that. A racist? Nah. Not this Puerto Rican. Don't let that last name Ashton fool you. I'm Puerto Rican. My mom's from Bayamon. My father's from... uh, Families from Ireland, Ocklaw, and Liverpool, England. But I consider myself Puerto Rican. I'm more Puerto Rican than anything. But I grew up in the streets. I grew up in the hood. Marinus Harbor in Staten Island. I grew up in the bricks on the west side of Manhattan. The Fulton Projects, 17th and 9th. I live in the orphanage home at the age of uh, six on Staten Island called St. Michael's Home. Then I ended up in a foster home in Mariner's Harbor. That's where I became a victim of child abuse for over eight years. But that's another story in episode. Then I ended up in a group home in the Bronx. Went to one of the toughest high schools on the East Coast, Evander, off of Gun Hill Road. Then I found myself homeless from 16 to 21. And that's when I got married. Still married to this day. To the same woman. I was a bad guy. I was a thief. I was always breaking and entering warehouses in Marinus Harbor and Port Richmond. I'm not proud of myself, but I needed to survive. Then back in the 80s, it was getting worse. So I was a thief throughout the 80s. Stealing from bonded warehouses. So anybody who was a trucker, anybody that deals with custom, you would know what I mean by feds get involved. Those are federal charges. You start stealing shit from those warehouses, but that's what I was doing. And I was very good at it. How good? I never got caught. I never got caught. I've been doing it for years. My apartment used to look like a retail store. 
My friend's basement was my warehouse. I know a thing or two about being a bad guy. But racist? Nah. It's not an ounce in me. Not an ounce. When I was a little boy, I remember asking my mother, now she can hardly speak English, when we would be playing in the courtyard, and if I saw any black chi- you know, other kids, I don't know if they were black. I know they were just a different color than, you know, my skin. I got our skin color, you know. I got that Puerto Rican uh, skin. But uh, we didn't see color. So when I asked my mother, like, how come he's brown, dark brown? or whatever, She would tell me they're on the sun too long. That was good enough for me. It made sense. Got dark from tan. That's what I grew up with. And the orphanage home was mixed. It was all mixed. But we didn't see color. I just saw other kids who didn't have a mom and a dad living in the, the orphanage home. We didn't see color. I got contaminated when I ended up in a foster home in Mariners Harbor. Back in the day, I grew up hearing color people, but, you know, they were just shooting out the N-word all over the place. But as I was getting older, 11, 12, and 13, you know, you start listening to the, the other kids in the neighborhood and everything was either spicks, nigga this, nigga that, spicks, Jew beggars, and I'm like, what the fuck is all this about? I don't know what that was about. I don't know, you know, what all that meant. And I never asked. But I never, you know, it just didn't seem right. And I was young. But when I reached 14 and 15 years old, then I understood. And did I talk like that? Yeah. Did I mean it? No. It was just to fit in in the neighborhood. When I ended up in a group home, even though I'm half Puerto Rican, I wasn't accepted for a while, man, because it was all blacks and Puerto Ricans, man. It's in the Bronx. It was a tough group home. So I started learning a lot of shit as far as uh, when a race came into play. Because it would happen to me. Because I was white in their eyes. They didn't accept that I was Puerto Rican. Not until I had to make a move. Pressed by my counselors because they were breaking in my room. They were stealing shit from me. And I had to defend myself. I got into this big fight when I found out who the thief was. It was a nasty-ass fight. It was more like one-sided for somebody who talked a lot of shit. It was my first real ass-kicking fight. And I won with the help of a broomstick. And I'll leave that story for another time. But I'm, I'm, I'm making a point here, so I don't want you to get I'm drifting away from law enforcement and how the hell did I talk about my life growing up. But it all has to do with race. So when I got on a job in the academy, were any of them that I shared the academy with for six months, did I pick out the racist ones? I was really more concerned of making it through the academy. I kept my fucking mouth shut. I did what I had to do. To survive the six months. But I hung out with a great bunch of guys. That we carpooled on Staten Island. Great guys. Really were. But I paid attention. I paid attention to what was around me. I paid attention when I got on a job. I was paying attention now. Me being a rookie. But I wasn't just a typical rookie. I was a 31 year old rookie. Been there and done that. I was a bad guy. Who now turned good guy. 
from the streets. And even though I was wearing a shield, I always respected the streets. I always respected the streets. I never joined any gangs. I didn't become a banger or anything like that. They didn't call bangers back then. My rookie year at the Port Authority bus terminal and I had Midtown, 42nd Street. We had from 42nd Street to 39th Street, from 10th Avenue to 8th Avenue. And then we had seven stories inside the bus terminal, North Wing and the South Wing. I got there, it was the tail end when it was really, really bad. You can Google the Port Authority bus terminal back in the 70s and the 80s. It was really, really bad. But my point was this. I was back into my environment. It was mixed. A lot of bad guys. A lot of color. You also had the Latin kings made their home there. So I I was comfortable. But I was trying to get used to being the good guy. But anybody that I locked up, anybody that I stopped, if I did a subject stop, if I did a vehicle stop, I didn't see color. Never saw color. I give you respect. I'm very professional. I go with the flow. I didn't have to lock everybody up. And I didn't. I used my judgment. I used common sense. That's it. Common sense. In my episode five, I, I, I talked about common sense. And that's what lacks now in these days. It, it was lacking even when I was a cop, but it's worse now. With basic common sense. 75% of the job, any cop would, old timers, they would tell you that. Not every cop, because I didn't know if they're teaching that in any other academy, but in my academy, that's what the uh, the instructors, they always told us, 75% of the job is common sense. Use it. But I had the advantage. I had an advantage against most of the uh, my classmates and most of the cops that I worked with. I was from the streets. I was a bad guy. I did carry. I carried a Saturday night special, 22, old school, from 1979 to 1982. And then from 82, I didn't carry for a while to 1984, and I went to a 44. I went from a little to straight here, 22. You get shot with a 22. That bitch is going to ricochet inside your body. This could do a lot of damage. Anybody who knows about guns, they know a 22 can do a lot of, ga- a, a lot of damage. A 44, I blow a big fucking hole in your head. Always kept it underneath the driver's side. But guess what? My car was never tossed because I never had any drugs. I never smoked any weed inside my car. I never did anything like that. It was illegal. Never. Even when I was driving suspended for a year back in the early 80s, I was smart enough not to carry when I was suspended. So if I got pulled over, it would be nothing but a summons back then till they changed the law, especially in New York. Wait. You have a suspended license. They call that a 511. If you don't have any ID on you or you're out of state, you're going to jail for a suspended license. Now, that was back then. I didn't always lock everybody up with suspended license. Hell no. Of all the cops that I dealt with throughout my career, the ones I got along with the most were all the guys that had shady backgrounds and they were never caught. We all knew each other. We would not talk about it in front of anyone else. But when I would meet someone like me, oh, my God, the conversations we would have. Now, I was a good cop. I wasn't a super cop. I wasn't the greatest cop in the world. But I did my job, and I was fair. 
and I didn't have one personality. If I pulled over someone that was like my parents, I would talk as if I was their son. If I pulled over grandma and grandpa, I would sound like a grandson. If I pulled over someone that was close to my age, I'd talk to them like a brother or a sister. And when I pulled the bangers over, as soon as I opened up my mouth, I got respect. I expected the same respect back. And I got it in return. Now, when you hear me before and I was saying you keep the bad guys out, I'm more or less strictly more talking about the racist pricks. In episode five, I was, you know, my point was this. You can't be from Mayberry, RFD. You can't be from these small towns where it's 98% all white. Pulling cars, you know, now you're doing car stops and say you pull over a bunch of gangbangers. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to act. You don't know what to say, especially if you're a rookie. You're intimidated. Most of these kids that are on the job now are scared. No doubt in my mind, they are scared. Let's rid those potential races from ever getting on the job. And that's why it all goes right back to extensive background investigation and you privatize it, FBI. And I'll say it again, let the professionals deal with how to uh, implement that. It's my opinion, and I, you know, I said it last time, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. But I'm giving you a cop's point of view. I believe if you can get rid of that toxic shit from get, ever getting on the job, then you know what you're dealing with, what's on the job. I believe in being aged out. You do 20 years or 25 years. I'm old school. I, I did 20 years because I was in New York uh, State Pension, so we did 20. And we're grandfathered in. So after, I believe it was 2010, it went to 25 years. But I believe also of aging out. 25 years, that's it. You're gone. You got to be out. You can't make a career out of it. Go. If you got an issue with that, get another job. But in law enforcement, uh uh-uh. You can't have 55-year-olds and 60-year-olds. And I don't give a shit what condition you're in. And you think you're a badass and you're in shape and all that. Uh Uh-uh. No. The running and the... The chasing and you leave it to the young guys that really want to do the job. That they're not there just for the pay and they're not there for the pension and their benefits, their health benefits. They're there because they want to do the job. Now, yeah, the money's good, the money's great. Yeah, the salary, the pension, you know, that's all awesome. Yeah, I'm going to take that away. But when you become a cop, you want to be a cop, man, because that's what you you really want to do your part. You want to do your share. You want to protect your community. You want to protect your state, your city, and like I said, your country. So 25 years of service is awesome. You retire, you look back and say, you know, I had a great career. I was a good cop. I was a fair cop. That is what I really just wanted to focus on was the academy and how to how to keep them out when I say them, you know, the potential racist cadets. You know, these applicants. I keep saying cadet, but it's applicants. 
you don't want them to take the exam. You want to make it so hard for them that when they read it, they're so intimidated that they won't apply for it. They won't. And any cop out there that is a Donald Trump supporter, when you go out there, you better be putting your political views and your opinions and leave them at home. Because you can't go out there with an attitude thinking, you know what, fuck this, man. I'm going to do what I want. Donald Trump is, uh, says it's okay. Yeah, yeah. but when you get jammed up, let's see if uh, Donald Trump will be there to bail you out. Keep your political views and your opinions to your fucking self. To all people of color that get pulled over by the cops in your town, or if you get pulled over from in another state, Stop being agitators. If the police officer asks you for your driver's license, registration, insurance, and he introduces himself as I, like me, how you doing, Officer Ashton, Port Authority, please? Can I see your driver's license, registration, officer? Could I? Can you tell me what I did wrong? Well, you know what you did wrong, but I'm going to tell you anyway, brother. You just blew that light over there. That would be a, a typical short. What was that? Under ten seconds. But let me tell you, what we're seeing now is no different than what I was going through the 90s and uh, all throughout the 2000, from 2000 all the way up to 2014. Is that you have social media and everybody's whipping out their phones. So they're already starting shit. You pull them over, the passengers already got the phone out. So you already escalated something that could have been just a warning. It could have been just a warning. Now, before you know it, you're being asked to step out of the vehicle. Now you're refusing to step out of the vehicle. All because the officer asks you for your license. Comply. How hard is it? Comply. If they say keep your hands out of your pocket, keep your fucking hands out of your pocket. If the officer is asking some basic questions, now you got these assholes. Hey, you can plead the fifth. Really? You blew a stoplight. You're going to plead the fifth? You see how stupid it's getting? Or it's my right. You know what? It's a privilege to drive that fucking car. It's not a right to drive that car. It's a privilege. Owning a driver's license, DL, is not your right. It's a privilege. Owning a vehicle to drive, it's not your right. It's a privilege. Just do what the officer asks. If the officer's going to be a scumbag and a jerk-off, fine. If you're going to have your phone on, all right. Put it on, but don't put it in his face. Put it on your dashboard. And if someone's in the car that's that's what they want to do, don't be a dick. If you're going to record it, fine. You don't think they were recording back in the late 90s? They had these stupid camcorders on their shoulders. So all that with the the phone, it's not new, all right? They were doing it even in the 90s. Don't resist. That's the most common charge is resisting arrest. Whatever the charge is, whatever is the reason why you got pulled over or something escalated, you're committing a crime, the chances are resisting arrest is going to be added on. As soon as you refuse to be handcuffed, that's resisting. Verbally refusing. You know, I'm not taking my hands out of my pocket. 
I'm not going to let you handcuff me. That's resisting. You're resisting arrest. And on top of that, you're obstruction. That's obstruction. Me, when anybody was recording with their cameras and even towards the end, back in 2008, 9, 10, 11, then, you know, with their cell phone, I will give a warning. Or I lock your ass up for obstruction. You are preventing me from doing my job. Because I'm watching you. What happens? That shit hit, pulls a weapon out on me because you distracted me. Because you are sticking your nose where it don't belong. I'll lock your ass up. And that's what I believe every officer, every cop should do. If you got cell phones around you while you're performing your duty, issue a warning. And if they refuse and they start turning around saying, well, this is my right, fuck you. It ain't your right to obstruct me from performing my duties. I'll lock your ass up. Get yourself an attorney. So I had my share. But my street knowledge, my background contributed me becoming a good cop. It helped me. It was my secret weapon. Like I said in uh, episode five, when these politicians turn around and they want everything, public record, they want everything in public. Nah, I'm against that. I'm sorry. No. But supervisors, they need to do their job too. And the union, they need to do their job. You got to stop protecting the bad guys. And I know some of these uh, officers that end up losing their jobs, they end up having some real serious civilian complaints. And I get it. But I got a lot of civilian complaints. Most of them never showed up at the hearing. So they will close out, but still it will be in my folder. And I said that last time. It will be in your folder. And that's bullshit because if I get involved in a shooting, you know, if I get involved with something, some serious shit, now you're going to have all those hacks reporters going to turn around and tear apart your life because you got 15 or 25 civilian complaints in your, throughout your 20 years uh, as a cop. And that's going to define, you're going to let these hacks define who you were or what kind of cop you are or what kind of cop you were because of one bad shooting. Or good shooting. Doesn't have to be bad. So no, I'm against that. I'm against that. Immunity? Good cops have nothing to worry about. Only the bad ones. You're a bad cop, you're a bad cop. End of story. So that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to stretch that. To explain myself, actually. I just want to explain a little bit further about when it came to uh, police reform. My opinion. And that's all this is, is just my opinion. So we start from the bottom up. If you don't want a racist cop, you got to get him from the beginning. Prevent them from taking the exam. Make it so hard for them. Make it so hard for them. And then as time goes on, there's other ways to reform law enforcement. You know, there's other ways. Evaluation should be, you know, once a year, say for five years. And that includes supervisors. Supervisors need to be evaluated no more hooks. This one got in the academy because he knew this one. Uh, this one became a sergeant because he knows that one. Those who got on because of political hooks, like the governor, 
a congressman, a senator, assemblyman, judge. You want to become a cop? Become a cop for the right reasons. To serve and to protect. It's not that hard. All right, so don't forget, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's all mic'd up, podcast show. That's all mic'd up, podcast show. If you want to email me, all mic'd up, 1453, gmail.com. This theme is from Hill Street Blues. Till next time. Thank you, guys.